is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for this word, for your scriptures that remind us of the stories of your first disciples and also of your Holy Spirit at work amongst us today. God, guide us in our, in our reflection this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today's scripture reading moves us from a focus on Jesus in the Gospels to the story of the early church in the book of Acts, where we get to explore what resurrected life then looks like for the rest of us. We read in Acts about how there were signs and wonders and great joy among the believers, how there was a sense of unity as the early Christian community shared all things, food, money, possessions. And then here, we also read about how there was conflict, too. A lot of it. Both within the church and with those outside as well. And I think this conflict can sometimes be troubling to read about, uh, since it's not something we usually look for as part of our resurrected life. Instead, we'd prefer to idealize the early days of the church, thinking it must have been so much better way back when, at the beginning. But then we read accounts like these about all the drama that they had. It starts to look a bit like the conflicts that we continue to experience today. Or if anything, it was worse back then. Often it turns out that the good old days were terrible. Have you noticed that? And this particular story about Stephen, I think it's a prime example. Here was an all-around good guy, selected to be one of the first deacons, ordained mostly just to oversee food distribution, essentially working in the soup kitchen. And in short order, he ended up getting stoned to death. Poor man. No wonder we sometimes have such a hard time finding new church officers. Leadership, leadership in the church is a high-risk activity. It's right here in the book. And those of us who have, who have been in the church for a while, we know about this sometimes from personal experience too, don't we? That there, there are good times, like Easter Sunday a couple weeks ago when worship felt like a joyful reunion. And yet there's also other times when we occasionally fight about finances or furniture or sometimes funeral arrangements. Today, no one's likely to get killed in the midst of these uh, arguments, thankfully, the way Stephen was. But sadly, some of us do know what it's like to be falsely accused, the way that Stephen was. Leaders in particular are vulnerable to these kinds of accusations that they threw at Stephen. They said to him, you're undermining our traditions. You're threatening to destroy our beautiful building. They took Stephen to court and ultimately judged him guilty, even though that's not really what he was about, or at least there was more to the story. Incidentally, have you ever found yourself in a similar situation, just going about your business, trying to do your job, and the next thing you know, people are lobbing accusations at you? It's not a good feeling. It's particularly disturbing in the church where we aim for unity and peace. It's the kind of thing that causes some folks to drift away, maybe give up on religion in general. 
Because who needs that kind of drama? I mean, especially after the resurrection. Didn't Jesus die so that we would have abundant life, not more suffering and death? But here in the book of Acts, we're reminded that suffering is still part of the journey somehow. Stephen was following Jesus, who suffered and died, and so Stephen also suffered and died for telling people the truth, just like Jesus did. This appears to be the path of discipleship even after the resurrection. It's been clear from the beginning that God God doesn't erase suffering. Instead, that suffering is simply transformed somehow. And we are transformed in the midst of it. This week, I finished up a book by uh, Richard Rohr called The Universal Christ. I'm not a devoted fan of Richard Rohr the way some people are these days. I call them Rohrians. <laughs> but I do appreciate many of the reflections in this, this particular book of his, which includes a good deal about the way in which Christ is present in all things. All things, including suffering. And what a difference that can make for us. One of the themes that Richard Rohr focuses on is that, is that the title Christ, it's not just Jesus' last name, wasn't just a title for Jesus, also meant to indicate the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is available to all of us. The sense in which God took on matter in Jesus, took on flesh like ours, became human. And then it became possible for God's Holy Spirit to live in each one of us as well. As Jesus rose from the dead, we then also can rise. Because Christ now lives in us also. So we have joy and power even to face suffering by saying with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And this new identity that we're given through the resurrection, it does change everything. Or at least it can Again, it doesn't mean that we won't suffer or face trials. Jesus himself said to us, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so the difference seems to be how we, how we face the difficulties that are still a part of living the life of Christ. Through the Spirit, we can now weather conflict and persecution with courage and grace not shying away from it, but perhaps, as Richard Rohr suggests, we can even come to see suffering as opportunities for growth, to share more fully in Christ's suffering and resurrected life. Another popular way of putting it these days is, you know, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. But for those who believe in resurrection, even death can be overcome. So that means that all things can make us stronger. All things. For instance, remember how after the cross, Jesus, he showed his wounds to the disciples, his hands, his side. They weren't an embarrassment to the risen Christ. These reminders of suffering. They were his glory. 
And the expectation was that we, as his followers, would then share our own suffering, our wounds with one another. That we would also go willingly to the places of conflict and difficulty. That's part of of putting on the mind of Christ, of becoming more like him. Here's an example of what this could look like. There's a, there's a mantra I often come back to when in the midst of conflict. If you've been ex- exposed to the leadership teaching of uh, Heifetz and Linsky or Edwin Friedman or Peter Steinke, it may sound familiar. I think of it as a summary of the approach taken by Jesus and then later by Stephen and others in the early church. Let's say you're in an argument and it's getting heated. The other person is, is pushing your buttons maybe even making false accusations the way they did to Jesus and Stephen. You start getting offended, feeling angry. You're about to to flip your lid, as some psychologists put it, where your, your lizard brain takes over. You become highly reactive. The three natural physical responses to stress, to danger, are either to flee, to fight, or to freeze. So that's what your lizard brain wants to do. You either want to run away, lash out in anger, or stick your head in the sand and pretend that everything is fine. Well, at this point, the conflict management experts say that we should resist all of these temptations. Don't succumb to the lizard brain. Avoid getting down in the mud with the accusers. Instead, we should try to maintain what's sometimes called a non-anxious presence. Stay cool, calm, and collected. Or the mantra I've memorized, it goes like this. Don't deny, don't defend, don't justify, explain, or blame. Just stay connected. That's the non-anxious presence. If we want to be healthy in the midst of conflict, that can be a good way to go. But a problem I've noticed in trying this is that it it tends to be really difficult to actually do. It's really hard. And I think it's, it's fair to say that we all fail sometimes. Even professional mediators who have been at this for years and years, they sometimes throw up their hands and admit that a non anxious presence is uh, it's a bit of an impossible ideal. We can't avoid anxiety altogether. Fear, it's just a part of being human. But we can get incrementally better at managing it. We can try to put on the mind of Christ. Some people claim that mindfulness meditation helps. Others try to simply breathe, pray. I like to think my mantra is beneficial. And maybe we'll never be perfect as Jesus was perfect. But we can at least try to follow his example the way that Stephen did. Because of the resurrection, we too can put on the mind of Christ. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit that we share helps us to do this. We Christians have Holy Spirit power in the midst of conflict. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our model in Christ Jesus. How Jesus himself, he didn't shy away from conflict or suffering. Didn't run or flee the way his disciples did. 
Jesus didn't fight the way that Peter wanted him to fight. He told Peter to put away his sword. Jesus refused to call an an army of angels to save himself from the cross. And then Jesus didn't even defend himself verbally either. Others made false accusations against him, but he didn't deny, he didn't defend, didn't justify, blame, or explain. And yet he didn't ignore his enemies either. Jesus didn't freeze. Instead, Jesus spoke calmly to his accusers. He spoke to Pilate ever so briefly. He talked with the thief who was strung up next to him. He asked a friend to take care of his mother. And in the end, Jesus publicly asked God to forgive his accusers. A sign that he still cared for them too. Jesus extended grace, stayed connected, even while they killed him. That's the non-anxious presence. And because of Christ at work in him, this is what we see in Stephen's story as well. Notice how how Stephen's ministry began with having to address an ethnic conflict in the food line. How this, this deacon was in the thick of controversy on day one. And yet because of the resurrection, because of Christ dwelling within him, Stephen wasn't afraid to address controversy. There were, there were these others who picked a fight with him over his belief in Jesus. They tried to trick Stephen up in debate, but the man was so articulate and measured that through the Holy Spirit, he always won the argument. Even when they falsely accused him of insulting Moses and God, claiming he was trying to undermine the temple and the Hebrew Scriptures, Still, Stephen didn't lose his cool either. He didn't run. He didn't hide. Instead, Stephen stood up and gave a speech as part of his witness. The longest one in the book of Acts. Not primarily in order to defend himself. He didn't even deny the charges they made against him. Stephen simply took the opportunity to boldly tell the world about Christ the source of his courage and strength, the reason he wasn't afraid of the court or of suffering in general or even of death. Because of the resurrection, Stephen wasn't afraid to speak his mind and challenge the status quo. Because of the resurrection, he didn't back down, even when put on on trial and faced with an angry mob. Instead, while under attack, We read that Stephen's face was lit up like an angel. Not not like one of those docile, cute little cherubs, but a fearsome, terrifying messenger from heaven. And this confidence that Stephen had, this sense of purpose and boldness and courage, it didn't protect him from the pushing or the dragging or the stones that they eventually threw at him. But because of the resurrection, Stephen had a sense of calm in the midst of that storm. He looked up and saw that God was there with him. There was Christ standing in the middle of the chaos and the violence. 
in the middle of the trial and pain. And because of that resurrected presence, Stephen was able to go calmly into the next world, just as Jesus did, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't cower. He didn't cry out in fear, please stop. Nor did he lash out or try to fight his way free. Instead, because of the resurrection, Stephen's last thought was the same as that of Christ Jesus, to pray for his enemies, to do good to those who persecuted him, to say, Lord, don't hold these sins against them. Forgive them. So even in the midst of all that pain, Stephen had a sense of peace that no one was able to take from him. And because of this, ultimately, Stephen's witness was more effective than those who tried to take his life. Once again, he won the, the argument. Later we read about how at least one person present, Saul, who be, later became the Apostle Paul, he also found forgiveness and grace, maybe in part because of Stephen's witness. Saul also later became a follower of Jesus, a leader in the church. And so again, Christ was resurrected and death was overcome. And all the while, the movement continued to grow as the Holy Spirit spread to others, empowering more and more children of God to overcome fear and suffering and death. And the amazing thing is that this movement continues in us. Christ now also lives in us. Particularly when we are willing to face conflict and controversy with the mind of Christ. When we realize that we too can face suffering without fear, without reactivity. The Holy Spirit is available to give us also a sense of peace in the midst of it all. Assuring us that all these things can work together for our good when we maintain our love for God and our bold commitment to work for God's kingdom of justice and peace and joy. With Christ's resurrected power, we can be confident and firm, but also gracious and kind. We can receive pushback and not be hindered from making progress. We can rejoice in the opportunity to tell the truth, to grow more like Christ Jesus, and to contribute to the spread of God's grace throughout the world. For this is our gift and our calling, the hope and joy of our salvation through the resurrected power of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.